This episode is brought to you by McDonald's. Not sure you've heard of them. <laughs> Up and coming uh, little restaurant, but they're making it. They're the little engine that could. You know, the moment of bliss when you spot your fries being scooped into the carton and suddenly time slows down. I have that all the time. I love their fries. Oh, yeah. yes. McDonald's fries hit different when they're free. That's another thing I'll tell you. And when they belong to your friends, there's no better feeling than thinking you're out of fries and then you discover extra fries at the bottom of your bag or else my son still hasn't finished his fries yeah. and I'm done with mine. And uh, he used to be weaker than me so I could just take them. Yeah. Now I can't because he's stronger than me. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's no wrong way to eat McDonald's fries, but we all think our way is the best way. And I like stealing them from someone else. That's my favorite <laughs> way. Get your favorite McDonald's fries today. McDonald's, check them out sometime. They're everywhere. Sona, how's your sock drawer looking? It's messy. There's a lot of single socks. Yep. I think it's time for a little spring cleaning. Oh. <laughs> Check out Bombas. Once you try a pair, you'll never look at socks the same way again. I should know. I like my Bombas. Their spring collection has new garden party socks that bring the party to your feet. My feet have never been to a party. <laughs> They've so got sad. stripes and florals and new vintagey colored rib socks. You know, when I'm wearing Bombas, I feel like my feet are being caressed okay. and cared for in a way they never have been in my life. Hmm. Get comfy this spring and give back with Bombas. Head over to bombas.com slash Conan and use code Conan for 20% off your first purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash Conan and use code Conan at checkout. <laughs> Um, hey, I'm Slash, and uh, I'm feeling pretty damn good about being Conan O'Brien's friend. Fall is here, hear the yell, back to school, ring the bell, brand new shoes, walking blues, climb the fence, books and pens, I can tell that we are gonna be friends. Hello there, and welcome to Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend. I'm using my good podcast voice, very mellifluous, very professional. Sona, how are you? I'm good. And um, <laughs> terrific. Sona always brings the goods, and that's why that's why we have you here. Because if we didn't have you next to me saying, I'm good, what would I do? And how are you, Mr. Gorley? I'm good. Very terrific. Well, I'm in improv hell right now. <laughs> I am a man. Are we improving? I am a man do? trying to swim we away from away from Niagara Falls. <laughs> the current is pulling me back, and I'm pulling two cinder blocks with me. <laughs> one named Matt, one named Sona. I have a beef, uh, something that I want to complain about. Oh. Um, what I've noticed lately, and I don't know if it bothers anybody else, but I'm noticing lately that a celebrity will pass away uh. and the celebrity will be quite old, someone who's an icon. Yeah. And this has happened two or three times in the last two weeks. And not to, I'm not going to bum people out by naming specific names, but someone will die at, you know, in their 90s and they're a star of stage and screen and they've been, and then a couple of days later, there'll be an article that reveals their cause of death. And I'm like, oh. who needs that anymore? I think, you You're know what I mean? Curious? It just, it just, well, what do you mean? I'm not curious. It just, I think when someone is 98, you don't have to say, well, here's what happened. 
Well, I mean, unless I it's spicy. Yeah, unless it's no, like but it's not spicy. Shot robbing a bank. I know, but that's what I was going to say. That 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 I keep reading these venerable people who were in their late nineties, close to a hundred, are passing mm. away, and it's you know, oh wow, we should take a moment. We should really think about these people. These are great people, and you feel the sadness of their passing. But I don't then need an article a couple of days later that says, all right, you're ready for this? We f- <laughs> we figured it out. Like, we don't need to figure it out. And it reminds me of the time Jack Klugman passed away. And Jack Klugman had been, uh, you know, great actor. Of course, many people know him from the TV show, The Odd Couple. But he had famously, like, you know, I, I think lived a, a full life and- he had had a lot of bouts with different diseases and cancer. He was a big, I think he was a big smoker. And and anyway, but he beat it all. In, and then finally, at a very advanced age, he finally succumbed, mm. you know, and passed away. But this is after you thought he was very sick, like 20 years earlier, but yeah. still kept, you know, mm-hmm. and he finally passed away. And so I'm talking to my brother, Neil, on the phone. And I said uh, to Neil... Oh, I just oh, I just see it right here on the background. It's um, it's on the TV that Jack Klugman died. My brother Neil said, "What happened? <laughs> <laughs> what happened? Well, Neil, he he built a rocket, uh huh, and he strapped himself to it and tried to go to the moon, and it blew up. What do you mean? What happened? So I want I don't know what my fate is." None of us really know. Sony, you probably know because you probably hired someone to kill me. But yeah. you know exactly what's going to happen to me. But yes. but I don't think we need a national investigation. Well, if if I make it past, I just want there to be. If I make it past ninety five, ninety five. So if you if you pass at ninety four, you okay. want people to know to know how. If ninety four, I want there to be a thorough investigation. <laughs> I want an autopsy, and I want everyone around me arrested and held for questioning. What if yes, ninety four? If I go at ninety four, I want everyone around me immediately apprehended and questioned. And body searches, cavity searches. <laughs> oh man! I want everyone to check cameras. But at ninety, from ninety-five on, yeah, I want people just to um, toss me out the nearest window. What if it's funny? Like, what if you, what if you pass away like on the toilet, and it's you know it's funny, and you know people will think it's funny. I mean, we have to I don't release like, that I don't it's like, on the toilet. I don't like toilet humor, and so I would ask that that be kept quiet. Oh. I think if I'm you know, riding a super fast motorcycle at 95 <laughs> and I crash, uh, I crash into a Ferris wheel and I get tangled up with the Ferris wheel and my, my, my bleeding body that's also on fire is going in a big circle on the Ferris wheel and a, a crowd gathers and people just start roasting marshmallows and every time that the the wheel gets lower down, they all rush forward and put their marshmallows out. But then, as the as the wheel lifts, they retreat. And the guy who operates the isn't there. The guy who operates the Ferris wheel isn't there. And there's just a sign that says "back in two days." He's on a break. For <laughs> yeah, he's two on a break days. for two days. Jesus. Um, then that's funny to me. How is that going to work? Cause of death, and then like a two. Paragraph explanation. You know what it's going to say? It's going to say the coroner did a thorough investigation. Mr. O'Brien's rocket sled uh, motorcycle struck the Ferris wheel at approximately 140 miles an hour. Um, Mr. O'Brien, Mr. O'Brien was not killed by the impact. Miraculously, he was uh, wearing well-armored uh, motorcycle gear. 
Um, he crumpled. Uh, he caught fire. But according to everything, eyewitnesses say he shrieked and screamed like a monkey. <laughs> for two days? For for quite a while on the Ferris wheel. Um he was alive, but the attendant had been had left and was and was missing. Um, and no one could stop the Ferris wheel, not because they didn't know how to, but it's a union thing. No one was allowed to <laughs> approach the lever. And uh, Mr. O'Brien's flaming corpse, uh, b- uh, flaming body, he shrieked and screamed for a day and a half. But the coroner says that he died of dehydration. <laughs> if someone had at least given him a sip of water. He'd be alive today to tell the story. Conan O'Brien gone at 95 from a jet motorcycle crash into a Ferris wheel and subsequent marshmallow cookout. (laughs) An epidemic that's sweeping the nation. Then, then Neil can call up and go, what happened? (laughs) That would make sense. Yeah. All right. Well, we should begin. Yes. It's important. This is a this is a very 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 important interview. Yes. And I am excited. I know you're thrilled, Sona. I, this is one I've been looking forward to forever. Yeah. I love this. I uh, love him so much. All right. Well, He's so Mike, important to me. Okay. Second only to me, my guitar. Uh, was nope. Just number one. Someone fix that in editing so I come out number one. My guest nope. today. No. <laughs> Everyone's let's do this for God's sake. My guest today is widely considered to be one of the greatest guitarists of all time. He's a member of the legendary rock band Guns N' Roses, uh, who recently reunited to tour last year. Over the past decade, he's also collaborated with Miles Kennedy and the Conspirators, and uh, their new album Four is available now. Uh, it really is an honor. to have this gentleman with us today. Slash, welcome. We've actually known each other quite a while. I know, I was thinking about it this morning. I saw, I was at the, at a rehearsal the other day, or actually my storage where I keep all my equipment. Mm-hmm. And there's different things that are, are tacked on the walls over years and years of being at this place. And one of the things was the cover of the back cover of my first solo record. Mm-hmm. And in that picture is that bicycle. Yes. <laughs> we got to tell people who don't know, right. but I think this was that maybe- was, that, was tw- that was 12 years ago. It was 12 years ago. It was a Tonight Show bit um, where- you were so kind. You went with me. We were just screwing around in some neighborhood. I was trying to get to know the neighborhood around the studio. We're like North Hollywood. In North Hollywood. And completely cold. We went to a yard sale. Have you ever seen this one? I oh, I thought it was a cra- like you went to Craigslist ad. Yeah. You're listings. right. Okay. Yeah, that yeah, was yeah. it. It was a Craigslist ad. Yeah. We were looking for guitars. Yes. yes. That's it. Okay. <laughs> yes. I, I forget everything I've ever done, but that's all right. But uh, it was a Craigslist and we were looking for guitars. And then I would say, that was the big surprise is can my friend check out the guitar? Right. <laughs> and it was you checking out these guitars. But then at one point, we were interested in buying the guitar, but the guy had this bike. Yeah. And it was a really cool bike from the 70s that had a gear shift. Yeah. It was like a Schwinn five-speed or something like that. Yeah. And it was orange. I remember that. (laughs) It was orange. And so I remember thinking, oh, this is so cool. Slash is going along with it. You're like, cool, cool. I'll take it. Oh my God. What the hell was that? (laughs) There was just an attempt on Slash's life in studio. Where did that come from? That would be be your wrap it up light. Yeah, yeah. That's great. Oh my God. You're haunted by yourself. The the light just fell. A light just fell off the wall. You're killing it today. I Uh, guess wrap it up. Yeah. Um, Incredible. You were, wow. Uh, This is not a professional 
outfit, as you can tell. But anyway, a plastic light just detached from the wall, fell, shattered right near it, slash missing it by inches. I'm amazed that that is that heavy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You were almost uh, killed, and um, right. and I apologize, but that's what you get. This is a, we actually, we well, got this studio on Craigslist. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> but going back to the story, but, you were- But it you, was, it was a, the guy was a hoarder. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And we could only walk through the house through this little- thin little lane and was the guy and his dad and they, they both opened the door with no shirts on. <laughs> yes. You can look this up. Yeah. I encourage you to look this up uh, online. Um, but you bought me the bicycle. Yes. And, and, um, and it was really fun. Uh, bought you the bicycle and then you got on it and you drove it away. <laughs> and then I thought, okay, once you're out of camera range, you're going to ditch the bike. You didn't. No. And then I talked to you afterwards and you're like, no, no, that's a really good bike. I like that bike. And you kept the bike. I kept the bike. I, I, I it actually ended up on the ceiling at that studio after a while. We just hung it up there and it was there for years and years and years. Now they sold the studio. So I'm not sure where the bike is at this point. I'm going to find you. And that I, bike. I wish I had known he was going to sell it because I would have gone and picked it up, <laughs> you know, and I would have rode it here this morning. <laughs> that that would have blown your mind. <laughs> I think that would have blown a lot of people's minds. Yeah. I'm trying to merge, but Slash is in front of me on a small boy's bicycle. <laughs> From the 70s, and I can't seem to get to the exit. Um, well, you know, I used to race BMX, so that would be well, that would be totally fun for me. I'd get on the bike all the way. I'm on my way to Conan. <laughs> it's just an interesting thing. You were into BMX bikes before you were into guitar, right? Yeah. I, guess, I, I was just starting to race professionally when I picked up the guitar. And so prior to that, I was like racing 13, 14 novice, and then 14, 15 was the next class that I ended up in. And I started doing like the Mongoose Grand Nationals and all that kind of stuff. Wait, and, you were seriously into oh, BMX? I, was way into I didn't realize it. you but, were that into it, and, that accomplished. That was going to be the stepping stone into motocross for me. Right. Right. And uh, which, of course, I could never afford. I could barely afford to buy a bicycle. Uh, and then all of a sudden... I discovered guitar and like literally in a 24 hour period, I went from aspiring to be a professional pro, you know, pro motocross guy right. to a guitar player. So you made this decision based on trying to protect your cartilage, probably. You were like, <laughs> you, you, you looked at the Les Paul and you looked at the BMX bike and you thought, there's a longer career Right. Like the Les Paul. Yeah. It's, well, I mean, all things considered, I think the, the motocross is probably safer. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. You know? That's true. I didn't think of it that way. Uh, you know, what's incredible is to think that, how old were you when you started playing the guitar then? I was just, uh, it was the summer right before I turned 15. To me, it's always felt like it's crucial that you start sometime between like 12 and 16, you've got to start playing guitar. I was... 22 when I started. And I remembered saying to no one in particular, I'll never be good at this because I'm 22. It was too, I waited too long. Yeah. And that's just the way it is. I, I think mean, you need to get, you need to get started when you're 15 and you can obsess like that. It's hard to say. Cause it's like, you usually have sort of established what turns you on by that time. Right. 22 or not. <laughs> right? right. But so like when you dis discover an instrument and you start putting those hours into it when you're younger, you know, then you, it's, you, you sort of establish that thing. Right. So if you didn't do it by the time you're 22, you're probably doing something else. Right. right exactly. <laughs> right. That makes any sense. No, it does make sense. Um, I've been thinking a lot about you. So I heard you were going to do the podcast, very excited. And I was thinking about this luxury I have with the podcast, which is I, 
almost ex- pretty much exclusively get to talk to people that I really admire, uh, who inspire me. That's one of the nice things. That oh, that's flattering. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's, but it's true. I mean, it, it's true. It's uh, doesn't always happen in a late night talk show because if you do four thousand of them and you talk to three people a night and you do the math, it's you don't respect and admire that many people. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're not so, always in control of that. Yes, exactly, you know? exactly. And then there are people that come through, and and but but I've been thinking about you a lot and what makes you so unique in my opinion. And I've actually talked to friends. We have a friend in common, Jimmy Vivino. Jimmy, yeah. Uh, uh, my guitar player for, for 28 years and, and a really good friend. Talking about what makes you so unique as an artist and where that came from. One of the things I was thinking about was, you know, just best to start at the beginning, which is your background. You had a background that probably a lot of fans of yours aren't even completely aware of, which is you're born in England. Mm -hmm. Your dad's white, your mom's black. Mm -hmm. She's into fat. She's an incredible fashion person who's designing clothes for David Bowie, all these fascinating people. And you come from this and then you moved to California. Well, no, I moved to California uh, when I was like really young, six, six years old. Right. So my mom Basically, she was based in Los Angeles. My dad's in England. She had gone to Paris. They met over there. And then, so they were, my dad was dying to get out of England. Right. <laughs> Didn't get along with his, his folks. And so, so we moved to Los Angeles because that's where her, her work was. And then he right. started working in LA. But it's this fascinating sort of combination of, first of all, it's a, it's a, a literal melting pot of cultures, but also fashion. That's always been part, I think, of, the look was always important to you as well as the sound. Is that, um, is that, is that fair to say? Well, I mean, you know, I was very aware of, of clothes, obviously, because that's, that was what she was into. Mm-hmm. For me though, I mean, I, I, I guess, yeah, I guess the look is, I mean, I always wore t-shirts and jeans. I haven't, I haven't changed my sort of fashion, uh, structure (laughs) since I was six. Um, so I don't know if fashion was so much the thing, but I, I definitely was aware of, of the fact that, that you have to have some sort of a persona or an image, you know, because all the people that she worked with, um, when I was a kid growing up, I was always around it. And these people were all bigger than life. So there was definitely an entertainment because, you know, she worked in the entertainment business on, on all facets from TV people to musicians and, everything in between, they all had this, this amazing presence, whether it was the clothes or whether it was, they were just really outspoken or whether they were really flamboyant, the right. way that, you know, whatever. So I was aware of that. And I don't know if I, I applied it to myself, but I was aware of it. Well, you just, <laughs> I mean, certainly, uh, I never knew that your iconic hat was something that you, I'm also, just also want to point out that Slash is drinking from an iced coffee. He's not rolling dice. <laughs> <laughs> We're playing a uh, game of craps yeah. <laughs> while we talk, but um, <laughs> like the hat was, and and I can relate to this a little bit because um, I know it was just kind of almost an accident. You like yeah, shoplifted, totally, yeah. you shoplifted the hat. Yeah, I, I stole it from a, a place called uh, Retail Slut on Melrose. <laughs> Let's give a I, shout out to Retail I, Slut. I remember this because- It's run by um, Enid Slut, by the way. It's there was two, just her name. Two stores. There was Leathers and Treasures and Retail Slut next door. And Tammy, Tammy Downs, a singer from a band called Faster Pussycat, used to work mm-hmm. at Retail Slut. So that's how I remember the name of it. And I went in there and I didn't have any money. And, and I always used to wear 
some sort of a hat. You mm-hmm. know, it was just part of the sort of completed whatever look you had going on. You had to have a, a lid. And, uh, and I went in there and I just saw the top hat and it just spoke to me, I guess, you know? And so I was like, okay. So I, I just, you know, I figured what the fuck, I just walk out with it and see what happens, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and so I did. And then I went next door to Leathers and Treasures and I stole a concho belt and then went back to the, to the apartment me and Axel were living in at the time. And we had a show at the whiskey that night. So I took the concho belt and I cut it up and I put it around the hat and I wore it for that night. But it just became a thing where I just, I really identified with it. Like sure. I wore it all the time. Yeah. And it was just, it was a way you pull it over your eyes. You could hide behind it if you were really high. It was great, great for bad hair days. It was just, <laughs> it was, I had, I had no intention of it being this long-term sure, you know, right. like it, thing. Well, I think nothing starts that way, but you start wearing the hat and then it becomes... This thing that you probably tell me if this has ever happened, and you have mm. to be honest. You walk in, okay? You have to be honest. Okay. You go you into a, so. you go into a restaurant. They're having a real busy night. It's a nice restaurant. You say, "Hey, I didn't make a reservation ahead of time, but it's uh, two. Uh, you've got room for us." And they say, "I'm sorry, uh, we're just we're very we're very full right now. We we can't help you out." And you go. I'll be right back. <laughs> and you go out to the car and in the back seat, you open the case and you take out the hat and you put it on and you walk back in and go, I'd like a reservation for two. And they go right this way. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've Has never. Has that ever happened? <laughs> no, that's never happened. Okay. But I tell you that when it does, I'll let you know. <laughs> and I'll tell you my thing, which is that I don't know why, but when I was- I don't know, 15, 16, I started realizing that my hair could kind of stick up and I started combing it up into this big pompadour. And I want to tell you, this is the late 70s when, I mean, first of all, no one has worn my hairstyle literally since 1959. Right. And I just decided my hair does this and I think I need to do this because I think this may be my thing. Now, I don't know why I decided that, but I wanted- I didn't know that. I kind of, so I started combing up my hair like rockabilly style and to the point of it almost being absurd and to the point when I'm doing the late night show, people are like, fucking don't do that with your hair. Like network people (laughs) are saying, but I remember thinking like, no, the- it's just got to be this way. And I remembered there was something about it that almost felt like maybe it's somewhat akin to you in the hat, but it was offering me, it was like a talisman. Do you know what I mean? Right, right, right. And then it, there were times where I feel- something you could say, this is mine. Yeah, <laughs> this, this is, is mine. Thing. And also you can't mistake me for anybody else, right. you know? And uh, since like, oh, the cable guy will come and I'll answer the door and he'll, my hair is just flat because it's just got, I just woke up. Right, right. And the guy, I can tell, it's just like- Huh. <laughs> He's and, I, and, I, and I'll be like, hold on, I'll be right back. And then you get it up. And then... <laughs> get my hair, hair Cialis. And, uh... <laughs> and then I come back looking like Steve McGarrett in Hawaii Five-0. And he's like, yes, right. that's the Conan I wanted to meet. That's so funny. Um, it was, it was really something to hide behind for a long time. <laughs> you right. know? It was uh, just put the hat on and nobody knows who I am or where, what I'm doing and what I'm up to. You know, you can't see me. I can't see you. That kind of thing. Or right. I can't see you. You can't see me. Or else <clears> if <throat> you really don't want to do a show, and I, send yeah. another guitarist out there who's yeah. pretty good and just put the hat on him. And like, maybe people in the back will be like, yeah, it's Slash. Right. No. And I think that was another thing was, was during shows. Um, it was great to have that. 
because you could sort of like, like to this day, I still can't look at the audience, like straight into the audience. Right. And so having the, the top hat, really, you just pulled it down and you could just do your thing and it didn't feel as intimidated by the crowd and so on. Right. When I think about talking to you about guitar, there are probably people listening right, right now who think, oh shit, they're going to get into this technical stuff. And, <laughs> and, uh, you know, what, uh, what are you of, playing lately? Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> what kind of strings, uh, do you like to use? And tell me about the pickup and it right. suddenly becomes some, uh, interview for guitar magazine. And that's not the way I wanted to approach this at all. I wanted to approach about what I, what I think you've done, which is very rare is that when you think about the hundreds and hundreds of thousands and millions of rock guitar players, billions. When I hear you playing, I know it's you instantly. And you have done something in rock, which is, I think, almost impossible to pull off, which is you have, and, and especially in your solos, you've you've made these, the minute you hear three notes, you're like, I know what this is. Yeah. I know what this is. And I think that is in rock and roll, where so many people are overly influenced by each other, everyone can end up sounding the same. Mm. So to have a distinctive voice like that with your guitar. That's that's the the biggest the fact that you said that, because that's that's really the ultimate compliment as a as a musician, is to have um an identity, you know, or mm -hmm. some sort of personality. And I you know, as a as an artist, I can't define that myself. I can't listen to myself like, oh, that's me. I know, you know, I mean, I know it's me, but I can't have that perspective. So when you say something like that, it's like, if there was anything I ever wanted to get out of being a sort of, uh, you know, someone who, who puts music out and it's on the radio or anything like that, is that somebody could identify your playing. Yeah. You know, it's not how fast you play. It's not how complicated or, or is that you have a personality. Well, that's know? something that I was going to put this in context this is from my perspective, and I've also I've had long talks with uh, Jimmy Vivino about it too. But you look at the time that you're coming out and coming at it in the late '70s, early '80s. People are really worshiping um, acrobatics mm. on the guitar, and and not to um, God, he's he's a legend, and love him. Eddie Van Halen, Steve Vai, they're doing this stuff, and I think for a while it became who can blow you away with speed, technique, you know, how technical did it get? It's still like that. You know, and it's and it's still like yeah. that to a, to a great extent. And I think that was the world to put everybody back in time. That's the world that you walked into. Right. And you walk into that world and kind of reclaim I think what Jimmy Page did with a Les Paul guitar. You reclaimed it and said it's not about how fast I'm doing it. It's not about how technically difficult it is. I'm pulling it back and it's going to be something, a riff you can't get out of your head. It's going to be a solo that you can sing after you hear it. <laughs> I think that's what you did. I really do. Oh, well, that's, that's awesome. <laughs> I don't even have it. Yeah. Um, just, just remember I'm a comedian. <laughs> <laughs> no, what the um, fuck do I know? You know, it's incredible to have the flexibility to work in all sorts of places, whether it's taking video calls from the park or emailing large files while you're grocery shopping. Sona, this is good for you. Is it? Because you're always doing whatever work you do for me from fun locations. But I like blaming it on not having reception. I know, but you can't do that here. Working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network, which is why you should check out T-Mobile, Sona. Okay. Then you got no excuses. They're America's largest and fastest 5G network. 
With T-Mobile, you'll be covered in more places with the 5G speed you need for your life on the go. Plus, they also cover more highway miles with 5G than anybody else. Check it out if you don't believe me. Hey, Blay, you've got T-Mobile, right? I do. I was actually just up in the woods in Idlewild. It was fantastic for the weekend. And uh, my T-Mobile didn't miss it. My T-Mobile phone didn't miss it. You know, I wouldn't think you'd need a cell phone because you speak so loudly into a microphone. (laughs) Well, I had to look some stuff up. Just take it. Just take it down. I didn't know what brunch was. I can hear him. When the restaurant's open for brunch. Okay. uh, So I used uh, my T-Mobile coverage to check out brunch. That's all right. Anyway, wherever you are, you know, take it from the loudspeaking Blay. If you're on the go, you want to be in the know, you want to make the show. What? Uh, T-Mobile. Okay. That's the one for you. That was I should weird. have rhymed it with go. Anyway, <laughs> find out more at tmobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. Fastest based on median overall combined 5G speeds according to analysis by Ookla of Speed Test Intelligence Data Q3 2023. C5G device coverage and access details at tmobile.com. in today's Sona, I was thinking about just how much has changed over the years. Yeah. You know, when I was a kid, we were all dancing the jitterbug and the Watusi. Okay. And then you grow up now and there's mosh pits and everything's gone <laughs> cuckoo. There's this new thing called rap. I don't know what's <laughs> happening anymore. But guess what? In a world full of change, there's one thing that hasn't changed. Mm-hmm. The great taste of Miller Lite. Are you with me on oh, this? Oh, yeah, I'm right there with you. Yeah, and you know, another thing that hasn't changed is that it's less filling. Yeah. I hate a filling beer. Yeah. When I have a filling beer, I just want to sit down in a beanbag chair for six days, but not oh. with Miller Lite. So what's the best thing about the original light beer? Mm-hmm. Back in 1975, the big debate in America was what's more important, that it it's less filling, Miller Lite, or it tastes great. Yeah. The cool thing is when we all realized it's both. Okay. It's less filling and it tastes great. Yeah, all right. Everybody wins. Everybody wins. Miller Lite keeps it simple. Undebatable quality. Great taste. Only 96 calories. You don't have to choose what's best. Miller Lite has great taste and it's less filling. Tastes like Miller time. To get Miller Lite delivered right to your door, visit MillerLite.com slash Conan. Or you can find it pretty much anywhere that sells beer. Yeah. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. 96 calories per 12 ounces. Fewer cows and carbs than premium regular beer. If most people are being honest, no one really knows what you do for work, right? Yeah, it's true. Yeah, especially if you're in a what I like to call B2B. Oh, you know? what, what is that? I'll explain. Okay. That's a business doing business with other businesses. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I call it B2B. It's a little thing. It's also, uh, it's a boy band I'm working on. <laughs> anyway, fortunately, LinkedIn has a network of professionals who get what you do and you can reach the right people who matter most to your company because they're LinkedIn. Yeah. That's what they do. LinkedIn has over, this is the fun part to say, one billion members. Are you serious? Yeah. That's not, that's more people than are on earth because there are people on the moon using it in Saturn. (laughs) That's one over 1 billion members on its platform, including 70 million decision makers. God, I'd like to meet a decision maker. Since LinkedIn members are regularly updating their work history, you can precisely build a target audience by job title, industry, company, and more. Man, you can reach the right people for your, I'm going to say it again, B2B business 
with LinkedIn ads. Yeah. Gets even better because LinkedIn will give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Mm. There you go. Just go to linkedin.com slash team Coco to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash team Coco. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. As a kid coming up, I, I was raised around a lot of really cool music. And so a lot of it was, was rock and roll and blues and all that. Mm -hmm. And so I would, when I first started playing guitar and right around that time, it was like right, right before I picked up the guitars when Eddie came out. And that, that, that first Van Halen record was pretty mind blowing. Yeah. I was like, I'm not even going to go there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. Know, I'll just stick to the stuff that I was, I grew up listening to that I really, really like. And, uh, and then of course it turned into this whole like, we're all going to be Eddie Van Halen. Which was sort of like, I always thought that his whole trip was just so personal to yes, him. And yes. it was so, he had so many combinations of things going on that anybody who tried to imitate him just fell incredibly short, you know? <laughs> no, uh, in, in a way, it, it was very wise to not say, okay, Eddie's Van Halen showing me the way I'm going to go there. Mm -hmm. Let Eddie Van Halen be Eddie Van Halen. Yeah, exactly. And let yeah. Steve Vai be Steve Vai. You know, when I think about people that play guitar solos that, stick in my mind forever that I, I think of like the cars, Elliot Easton. Elliot Easton's great. You know, and I think I can, I'm not a great singer, but I can sing. If you just tell me a car song, I can almost sing you that solo right. because it is so crafted and so perfect and tight and done just correctly. And I was thinking about, there are people like Aerosmith. Mm -hmm is a huge, was a huge thing for you when you were young. Yeah. I think a lot of people always think, well, okay, Aerosmith, and they think about Joe Perry, and I'm thinking, well, Brad Whitford, you yeah. know, is really doing stuff that is getting in your ear, yeah. creating these things that get in your ear, and they're very distinctive. And they're, and they're part of the song. Yes. That's the most important thing. Like, guitar playing unto itself is great, but you know, in rock and roll, it's all part of a, a sort of structure, right? Yeah. And as far as the song goes, when the guitar solo comes, it's got to be part of that song. It can go a lot of different places, but it has to be part of that, right? And melodic in some sort of way. And that's one of the things that I used to identify with Brad and Joe and, and even with Angus Young and obviously like Keith Richards and Mick Taylor. That was a big one for yeah. me, you know. Um, Jeff Beck stuff when he was doing the Jeff Beck group. There's a whole bunch of guitar players, Jimmy Page, that really enhanced a song with their guitar solos, be it fast or slow or whatever it was. It was part of the sort of melodic soundscape. Yes. <laughs> you know? Right. And it wasn't, uh, hey, watch this. Yeah, yeah. And it's very adolescent, but a lot of adolescents want to say, check this out. Right. Watch this. <laughs> and <laughs> it's true. And it's almost like the song stops and then it's like, you know, and it's just, you think it's this separate thing and you go, yeah, you learned those scales really well. Man, you're doing those scales fast. That's funny. I That's didn't true. think someone could play those scales that fast. Hey, and now I'm done and we're back to the song. Right, and right, was, right, right. <laughs> like it's this weird. You hit every note. <laughs> I was yeah. listening very carefully. No, you just actually reminded me of something though. When I was in junior high, when all this stuff was new and you're sort of looking out for other musicians and other guitar players, it's like seventh, eighth grade. And, uh, and, and it's all sort of like new and exciting. <laughs> 
I went went over to this guy's house. I knew this guy named Phil Davidson, who was the the biggest stoner still to this day that I ever met. <laughs> and if you saw him, he was like a cartoon character. He was tall and lanky, had big curly blonde hair and a goatee, and he was just perpetually bloodshot eyes. And anyway, and he he but he had a guitar, so he right. was cool, right? So we used to go over to his house and listen to Deep Purple records and stuff. Anyway, so he took me to this guy's house. I guess we were gonna go buy a lid off him or something. And the guy could play all of UFO's uh, rock bottom off mm-hmm. of Strangers in the Night, mm-hmm. air guitar. Oh my God. He note can- for fucking note, <laughs> but air guitar. And it was, and I remember just sitting there really sort of, you know, and he went into this thing and he started at the beginning of the song and every little nuance and every little pick scrape and every little trill, every, he did with his hands and everything. And it was amazing. I, that's so crazy. And he played you know. so fast. <laughs> Flawless air guitar. Oh, man. I'll never my, that. my specialty in high school was I could do um, all the synthesizer parts to the Who's Won't Get Fooled Again <laughs> with my mouth. Oh, no way. Come on, really? <laughs> well, yeah. And, I would, and I've done it once on here, yeah. but it, it's worth redoing again because I I literally was very like, it was very precise about it. And so people would be like, can we hear that again? I'd be like, all right. Wow. And people were like, wouldn't it be great if you really could play an instrument, you idiot? <laughs> you must have been somebody to know in high school. I What's that? You must have been somebody to know in high school. I was someone to beat in high school. <laughs> Where is he? Where's the guy whose hair goes straight up? And does, and does the Who keyboard part. And does, and does the Who keyboard part. I will never unsee that. Yeah, <laughs> or I'm unhear, sorry. Unhear it's, it. It's that, terrible. That's with me forever. Thank you. But you know, one of the things that I was thinking about was, and I think it's very hard to do, and you pulled it off, and I can back this up because I've gone on the internet uh, and checked out you know, people that have guitarists that pay all these tributes to you, and they're looking at your stuff, and they're quoting all of your work, and they're, they've been able to replicate it and it's a straight line. It's Guns N' Roses, obviously, but it's also Velvet Revolver. It's also the work you've done with Miles Kennedy. What you've done goes through everything. Like you've been, you've, you've consistently found ways to make your sound work in these different contexts. I think that's, yeah, I, I mean, thank you. I, I think it's just obsessive drive. You know, I, you just love it so much that there's no stopping you from doing it. You're not intimidated by trying to continue on because you don't have any choice. You have to just keep going. You know, you have to play. You have to find people to play with and outlets and just go out there and just be fearless about it. I'm going to get technical for a second. It's not that technical, but you chose the Les Paul. But how did how did you decide Les Paul? I mean, clearly the right call for you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, but I, guitars have you know like they they feel different for different people. Like uh, when I first when I first the Les Paul was always cool looking to me when I was a little kid way before I I, I had any aspirations of being a guitar player. 
um, we had the the Zeppelin II record, mm-hmm. and I always loved music. I just didn't have any ideas, designs on being a musician. So I listened to a lot of stuff, and that particular record, I loved the guitar sound of it. So when I did uh, pick up a guitar and then equated that that was a Les Paul, that was like a that was a huge bonus. I was like, oh, okay, so this is the right guitar <laughs> then. You know? Well, I'm such a geek. We Jimmy Page was it was when he was touring with the Black Crows. Mm. They were on the show. I remember Jimmy Page really wanted to see the masturbating bear. And I was just so like, it, he was, you know, he's like, what is the masturbating bear going to be? And we're like, oh God, no, he's not, but we're going to make him come out. Yeah. And so, so you call him up at home and said, did you? Yeah, yeah. No, it was a writer, but we had to just, literally, we just had to go find the bear suit and the right. diaper. And so sure enough, at the end of the uh, interview, we brought the masturbating bear out. And 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 it was so funny because Jimmy Page was acting like he was meeting one of his idols. And it's an idiot in a bear costume. With the diaper, and it's like I, oh, I can't believe Must I got to meet the quite the ma- an impression. Yes, yeah, so could you uh, could you masturbate for me? Would that be all right if you, just for a moment? If I could get you masturbating. Uh, but anyway, he was um, he had one of his Les Pauls backstage, uh-huh. and I think it was one of those main what the main two. That yeah, one of the main two before, that yeah. goes with him everywhere, and probably has like nine security guards. And I just was staring at it. And thinking, I don't know if you ever get that way, but sometimes I look at these things. Oh, yeah. And I think, wait a minute. You know, Danny Harrison showed me his dad's guitars once and was handing them to me. And I was like, I may not hold these. (laughs) This is the sword that can only be handed to the next king. You know, (laughs) who am I? And then you remember... It's a guitar, you know. Uh, it's true, though. You see the the. I mean, it doesn't have to necessarily be musicians. It could be any kind of tools that people use to produce something that we're all familiar with. Yeah, and they become famous and iconic unto themselves. Yes, right. And you get starstruck. You're like, oh, that's the that's the. You know, like uh, somebody brought me whose guitar was it? It was a uh, Rory Gallagher Strat. Mm-hmm. And brought it to a, a gig. I didn't want to even touch it. Yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. Wow. Yeah. I must not sully it <laughs> you know? with my earthly <laughs> hands. Um, I was trying to think. Was there a time when you ever brought in for session work? And the only time I could think of was was it Michael Jackson? No, I've done a lot of session work, but Michael Jackson was one of them. Okay. When you're asked to do a session for Michael Jackson, who calls? Well, <laughs> I was at the I was at the the Hyatt on Sunset when it was still the Hyatt. And I was, um, had a long night previous <laughs> and all the curtains were closed yeah. and there, you were was, up some, reading the there Bible. was somebody with yeah. me helping me read the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> I have those all the time, Slash. Going through, I'm like Leviticus and then right. I get all, you get really get into it and then. And then, so the, my phone rang and it was, it was, uh, Gunn's manager at the time. And he said, Michael Jackson's trying to get in touch with you, wants you to play on something. Right. So that's how it started. And I was, you know, like, that's the kind of thing, that's those kind of calls that you get really sort of like, really? You know, me? <laughs> kind of thing. And it was very flattering and all that. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we set it up and I went down to the record plant, not too far from here, and met Michael at the studio. Mm-hmm. And it was it was really memorable to me because he, he was, not only was it Michael Jackson, but he was with Brooke Shields, <laughs> which... Was just, you know, like, wow, okay. Yeah. yeah. And so we met for a minute and then he said, well, I'm going to, we're going to go have dinner. So just do your thing. And left me with the engineer. Wait, he didn't stick, he didn't stick around for no, what you were doing? No. 
And so I just, I had this song called, what was it called? Given to me, I think it was. And that was basically how it started. And then he called me back to do uh, something for black or white. And then after that, we, we started doing a bunch of shows together and actually got to be pretty good friends. Was he always that. with uh, a different super famous no, person no, every was, time you saw him? That was the only time was the Brooke Shields. Hey, you're with Merv Griffin. Yeah, well. Merv <laughs> Griffin. <laughs> hey, that's the host of Candlepins for Cash in Boston. Um, I would like it if the celebrity got smaller and smaller and more obscure. <laughs> but that the, would make the, me happy. The first session I ever did, um, for outside session that I can think of before Michael came along was uh, Alice Cooper. Right. Which was really sort of cool. <laughs> you know, like to have Alice Cooper is somebody that has been a, is an icon that I grew up with and all that. That was like a, a major call. I got to meet him once and he walks around with a, you know, a cane that he doesn't yeah. use. He doesn't use it because he has a limp or anything. He has a cane um, as sort of, you know, the way you have a hat, he has a cane, a cane, you know, yeah. and the way a but prop. It, it, but I compliment him on it. And he was like, here you go. And he <laughs> me. I guess he had like 50 more. Right. Yeah. And he let you have it? <laughs> I think I have it. Yeah. It's one of those things I got to find. That's cool. But. I thought it doubles as a five iron or something. <laughs> <laughs> you but. can screw on a little uh, club head mm. and you can play. Alice is great. Alice is, is uh, been around fucking forever and he's the most together um, unaffected. Yeah. I mean, even though he's been affected many times over, he's still yeah. come out being very unaffected. He's been. Um, very even keeled fucking rock guy. I don't know. I, I, your, t your story about Michael reminded me of the time that I was told a bunch of years and years ago, uh, Hey Conan, uh, Prince is going to call you. He wants to ask you something. And I'd never met Prince, mm -hmm. you know, and he had never been on the show. I think he was one to ask and maybe he was thinking about doing the show, but wasn't sure. Right. But I'll never forget. I went to my office and they said, okay, here's the phone call. And I get on the phone and a voice who's not Prince says, is this Conan O'Brien? And I said, yes, mm -hmm. this is Conan O'Brien. All right, please hold. And then I hold for a long time, long time. And then a different voice gets on, also not Prince. Are you still Conan? <laughs> Are you st is this Conan O'Brien? And I go, yes. Well, can, uh, please continue holding. And this is when he had changed his name to the artist. And he went, please continue holding uh, for the artist. And I wait. And then a different voice gets on. <laughs> and it's like, this is Conan O'Brien holding. Is that correct? And I go, yes. Very well. Please uh, be patient. And we will be- Meanwhile, and they're all sitting in a room laughing. Yeah. That's exactly, <laughs> that's exactly what I'm yes. thinking. And then finally, a voice gets on, also not Prince. And it goes- Conan O'Brien, and I go, yes, this remains, continues to be Conan O'Brien. I've grown a beard in the time that I've been on this phone call. And he said, um, okay, I'm going to get off. And the next voice you hear will be that of the artist. That's a quote. Yeah, yeah, and I went, geez. okay. And then there's just this long pause and I hear the phone switch over and I just go, here, hey. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, hello? Hi. And I went, oh, hi, it's, uh, this is Conan. Okay. Hey, and then, you know, I think he was <laughs> wanted to ask me briefly some questions. He was thinking maybe he'd do a late night show. He wasn't sure he wanted to chat with me. I don't think he ever came on. So clearly whatever I said was the wrong thing. But yes, I had the exact same thought that you had, which is this is just happening over the phone. They're just like, passing around. They're just passing it around. And also, is it possible that that it's Prince changing his voice every time? <laughs> or is, has Prince called the gardener in? Has Prince right. called? No, I think I would have thought the same thing. <laughs> you know, like, what are all the different possibilities that are going on? Because you have nothing else to do but sit there and think, right? Yeah. Oh, I had a lot of time to yeah, think. Yeah. There are moments in my life where 
I'm talking to somebody or I'm getting to perform with someone who meant so much to me or means so much to me that I kind of step outside myself while it's happening and observe like this is happening right now. I can't, have you had that playing with other guitarists where you step outside yourself and think I'm with, I can't believe it. I'm trading licks with this person. Yeah. <laughs> Many times. Um, playing with, with Aerosmith guys the yeah. first time was yeah. definitely one of those. Uh, the first time I jammed with, uh, well, second time I jammed with BB King because apparently yeah. the first time, well, there was a first time I just didn't remember. Oh. <laughs> I know, really embarrassing. I, I, I saw him. I saw him. I saw him. I sat down with him. We we ate at this restaurant in Vegas, and uh -huh. I was like, man, I would love to jam with you. He goes, "Well, we jammed that one time." And I was like, "Oh wow!" Well, you, what you did was you broke you, slash you broke the cardinal rule in show business. You never say nice to meet you. Yeah, right, right. Always good to see you. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just in case right yeah yeah because uh yeah what i thought was the first time meeting courtney cox i said so nice to meet you and she said we met yeah. at the white house correspondence dinner and right. i was like ah, uh -huh. i'll never forget that lesson yeah i have that same i you know what i'm gonna remember you said that because i have that problem a lot I do. I've got a lot. Today of you said to me, "Really nice to meet you, Conan. Long, <laughs> yeah, right. long time fan." And I had to remind you I, that there's, we've, there's, we've known each other fifteen years. Yeah, slash. I'm your son. <laughs> <laughs> Why won't you acknowledge him? He's your son and has been your son. That's funny. He's actually that's not that's not funny actually. But, um, no, there's there's okay. someone who okay. shall remain nameless. That uh -huh. every time I see them, I say. It's great to meet you. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah. But yeah, BB King is one of those guys. Um, actually, I could go on. Joe Walsh is, you know, any anybody oh God, that Joe you Walsh, get to yeah. play with that you really sort of were influenced by coming up, you know, and you get to stand on stage with them and play off of them is is one of those moments where you have to stand outside of yourself. Do you get nervous? I, I, get ner I get nervous. Like at the drop. When it comes to playing, I'm already sort of uh, – nervous anyway, you know, right before you, you perform, yep. it just always has been that way. So when you get up to go jam with some, you know, illustrious musician that you've been listening to all your life, yeah, you get a little nervous. Someone like B.B. King, who comes from a completely, who, obviously- Who actually will make you not feel nervous as much as possible because right. he's so down to earth, that guy. But I had a, I had a, a, a good learning experience. Um, I was working with Ray Charles for a little bit, beginning of the millennium. And at one point- I went in with his band. We're working on that movie, Ray, mm -hmm. to play actual standards, which I had no idea how to play. <laughs> and <laughs> Ray, I played on some other stuff, and he mm -hmm. liked my blues playing, so he wanted me to play on this. But these were like, so they gave me chord charts because I don't read music. And there's all these guys who've been playing with Ray since time began. Jesus. And they all looked at me like, no. <laughs> no, we're not going to do this exercise with you and learn, you know, teach you how to pay a, a E flat, flat 11, you know, you know whatever. Okay. So that's, that's, that's something that just absolutely blows my mind is when someone- we They're so stuck in their ways. They're like, there's no way that we're even going to sit here and try to work this out. But yeah. also there's a whole world of musicians that were come from an era where they, they read, they sight read. Uh, they've, and, and then you don't read music. Right. But I definitely respect people who know how to read music. Like I can read a book, you know, that's a pretty cool skill to have. Yeah. So it's, kids, it's, if you're out there, do the work, you know, cause it, it can come in handy. And especially if you're doing session work and they're just going to 
hand you, you know, a piece of music and you need to perform it inside of an hour. Right. It's, you know, they're not going to sit there and wait for you to sort of pick it up by ear. So now I want to make sure that I mention this because mm. this is so cool. You are working again with Miles Kennedy and the Conspirators and you got this new album. Yeah. Four. Yeah. This is the fourth album. Yes. <laughs> I figured that out myself. <laughs> I figured it was it was time to sort of remind people that we had three other records. <laughs> that was the main thing. And you made this during COVID. Yeah, we did this during COVID. What a rocky ride that was. Uh, yeah, when it, when when it all started, you know, I guess it was March. A couple. It was a. Like, Two years ago, almost two years ago now, right? So, you know, all of a sudden sitting around trying to figure out well, we, the Guns N' Roses tour was canceled. We're all just sort of sitting around sort of acclimating to this big event that just happened. So I started writing and, and I started doing demos for uh, the new uh, Conspirators record because I, I couldn't get everybody to come in. Obviously, we were all kept separated. So I started making demos and I sent them to Miles and... Um, and eventually Todd came down and put bass on the demos and eventually we said, okay, we should just do a record and we'll, you know, everybody do get tested and then we'll all meet up at my house and, and we'll do pre-production. And then I, uh, enlisted Dave Cobb as producer, mm -hmm. who's fucking amazing. And we had this idea, okay, we're going to, we'll, we'll go to Nashville, which, which, which is where his studio is, the famous, um, RCA studio, mm -hmm. a from, famous studio from the, 50s and 60s and 70s with country music. And uh, so we'll take a tour bus. So we did. We went in. Um, it's it's basically a live record. We recorded everything live in the studio. So so uh, we were done in five days. And on the sixth day, Miles goes, I tested positive. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, no. And I was like, how the fuck did that happen? You know, because, I mean, we were all sort of really isolated and, and everybody was negative prior, you know, when we went in. Right, right. But it turned out that maybe on his way to meet the bus – He'd picked it up, you know, because he drove from Washington State to Vegas, where we all met in Vegas, at a clinic, right? <laughs> so right. he might, might have gone into a, a truck stop or something. Well, there's footage of him at a Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> right. <laughs> and he got in the uh, he got in the bin of balls and rolled around for six hours. Yeah, okay. So. Anyway, so so then then it was just a domino thing after that. Yeah. Um, subsequently, Todd and Brent were both tested positive and one of the engineers. So it was just Frank and myself, Frank's the other guitar player and myself and, and Dave Cobb and his engineer sitting there. Okay. Now what do we do? So we had some overdubs to do, but mainly we had background vocals and those guys were sick. So we sat around for a little bit and then eventually started feeling better. So we sent equipment over to the house that we were all living in and they did the background vocals in the guest house or right, like right. COVID hotel thing. <laughs> And, uh, and then, and then I, you know, then I tested positive cause we were all sharing the same house. So it was inevitable, but, uh, I just gotten vaccinated. So it didn't last for very long. It lasted like five days. And then we all got back together and mixed the record and took the tour bus home. So it was an interesting little adventure, but it was, it was a great bonding experience. <laughs> no, I think there's going to be a whole lot of art that comes out of this crazy time we've been in, whether it was made during or right afterwards, there's going to be this explosion. Yeah. Cause of I mean, I did a lot of writing over that period. So there's like a whole bunch of stuff that'll be on the next record that'll definitely be, have been written during the sort of COVID downtime. Right. I've uh, thought of nothing. <laughs> <laughs> nothing. Nothing useful. A lot of stupid ideas. Well, didn't you get this This. this started? No, this was a, a before COVID. Was it before? It's like, been almost yeah. four years, right, It Corley? was the cause of COVID. Yeah. <laughs> People say this was where it started. Mm. Yeah, it's way, way uh, more 
personable and and intimate kind of a setup and you you, you don't feel like the pressure of being on a late night show and talking in that certain yeah. amount of minutes that you have to be up there. Although I got to yeah. say you, but but there's a bicycle bit and then you did a great bit where Jack Black. Uh, That's been viral. I know it's been viral. Jack Black accuses up. me. Uh, he basically challenges me to a guitar off because he knows we're both guitar players. And so he's playing, he's playing, I'm playing, he's shredding. I start to shred. And then my shredding just becomes off the charts good. And he gives up and he's like, fuck, Conan's too good. And then he gets suspicious and parts the curtains and you're there <laughs> and you've been doing it all along. And I swear to God, that is such a good, there's no better re- sight gag reveal yeah. than, <laughs> than the curtain pulls apart and there's, there's slack. So, yeah. But uh, you have always been, um, you're a real gentleman and you're in incredibly sweet and an inspirational person. So mm. to get to to talk to you like this, and also I, I gave you shit about it, but you were half an hour early uh, <laughs> for the for the interview, which um, is not what a rock god is supposed to do. You're not supposed to show up. You're not supposed to show up at all. I'm Especially because to... this is in the morning. Right? <laughs> so it's really fucking. Well, well, I'm supposed to go find you at a hotel and drag you here. Instead, you're here like half an hour early. Yeah. You're in great shape. Uh, you're very polite, um, and you're like, "Well, I'll begin whenever you guys are ready to be." <laughs> what the hell? It's no. not the way it's supposed to go down. To this, though. I haven't seen you in a while, and it, this and is really lovely. It's one of the one of the very few uh, sort of interview type things that that I was really excited to do. Well, I'm yeah. thrilled you did it, and I just have to oh. bust my assistant, Sonam Obsession, who has been obsessed with you for <laughs> years, and she's got this leather coat, and she she was going to take it off, but she's had a slash button on her coat. The day I met her 12 years ago, Come on, she had a slash button on her I coat and she it. was going to take it off today <laughs> because she thought it would be embarrassing. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Yeah. You are her guy. Oh and, she- and that's my husband's band. Yeah. I mean, I, I, so, want, I, would, I would take off his pin and then leave your pin on. Yeah. Yeah. But, I, but uh, it was, um, yeah. And so she had twins six months ago and oh, she was like, I am not missing the slash interview, yes. by the way. And there's a lot of times where she's like, I don't care. And I'm like, do you have a sitter? We don't have a sitter, but I'm coming. Where are the kids? I put them in a small crate. I don't give a shit about the kids anymore. So uh, yeah, yeah. she was going to move heaven and earth to be here. Thank you so much. Thank you. But anyway, uh, Slash, uh, let's do this again sometime because I mean, I'm happy to talk to you about anything and everything and uh, we can can do a live performance. We'll put the band right here. (laughs) (laughs) It'll be the first of its kind. I did trick Elvis Costello. I didn't do it to you, but I I brought Abbas 46 Martin yeah. and I brought it in and I just had it in the corner and I knew sooner or later he was going to see it. And, I, and he saw it and he was like, um, oh, whose guitar is that? And I said, that's my guitar. It's a 46 Martin. Oh, and he picked it up and then did a whole song. And right, I'm right. like, you know, I, I decided- Maybe that's uh, maybe that's chief. Forty six Martin. I'd be like distracting you, and then you turn around to ask me a question. I'm gone. <laughs> Where do you go? Where's my forty six Martin? Yeah. God no. damn it! There's no way to but, prove that he took it. Um, well, anyway, uh, a great honor. This was a joy. Yeah, Thanks for fine. doing it. It was really, really cool talking really cool. to you. Good talking to you. And and I want to I want to draw on your table. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's not exclusively mine. It's I share it with others. But please draw on this table. Table. Awesome. Everyone draws on this table. Yeah. Just write over someone else's name that you hate. <laughs> no, I found a, speak, a, a spot. Oh, good. Oh, my God. That's cool. He's drawing a great caricature of it's either you or Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> 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 Pretty sure it's you. Yeah. 
Because I don't think, <laughs> I don't think, I don't think Lincoln carried around a Les Paul. You know, it's only a matter of time until your check engine light comes on, which could equal an expensive repair bill, and a new engine can cost up to $6,000. Don't I know it? But this is why you need this product I'm about to mention right now. Okay. Car Shield. Mm. CarShield offers plans with low monthly rates that you can pay for your expensive repairs on your out-of-warranty car, truck, or SUV. It's so nice to have that protection of CarShield. I know. I believe. That's my belief. Some people have other beliefs, maybe religious beliefs. I think CarShield. CarShield plans provide protection on up to 5,000 major parts and systems, including items like transmission, mm. engine, even your entertainment system. Mm. Just call CarShield and choose the mechanic to do the work. CarShield administrators will handle the rest and save you money. Look, I saw your car today. You've got a beautiful car, but you've got to haul your family around in this yeah. car. This is a vital piece of machinery for you. You need CarShield. I do. And you know, I you know I don't take care of my cars very well. So CarShield would definitely come in. You know, and also with their A rating from the BBB, don't ask me, CarShield is the name you can trust to save you money on covered auto repairs. Now's the time to make the smart choice to protect yourself from the sky-high auto repair bills. Visit carshield.com slash Conan. Save 20% today. Again, that's carshield.com slash Conan to save 20%. Visit carshield.com slash Conan to lock in your price today. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all sometimes have issues or things we need to talk about, get off our chest. I have that all the time, don't you, Sona? I do. Yeah, and we need people to talk to. And we carry around different stressors. We carry big stressors. We carry small stressors. Uh, I was raised in a culture where you're supposed to kind of bottle it up, and I've learned over time that that's not the best thing to do. If you do let things rattle around in there for a while without talking it out, it can affect your life very negatively. Well, therapy is a safe space where you can get things off your chest, figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. BetterHelp's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. A lot of people have a barrier towards getting therapy because they think, well, I don't know, I've got to find the person, talk to them. What if I? it's not a good match? I, then it's awkward. None of that. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and then you switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. So get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash Conan today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash Conan. You know, sometimes we take voicemails on this show. We just like to hear from the people, get the pulse of America and the It's important world. that I, as a powerful uh, leader of the Roman Empire, sometimes um, don a disguise and uh, walk throughout the city to hear what my people are saying. That's, yeah. how I, that's how I feel about listening to these uh, quips and queries from people. Yeah. I believe it was the David Sedaris episode where you discussed colonoscopies. And I mm -hmm. think you you may have even discussed it on more than one occasion. You, you actually discuss it too much, I think. But It's not the colonoscopy that I bring up so much as the drug they give you. Yeah, the propofol. You have the colonoscopy, the propofol, which 
uh, it's the happiest I've ever been in life. Mm -hmm. And it's a high that I'd like to get back to. And so I'm constantly calling my doctor and saying, shouldn't I have another colonoscopy? Yeah. And the doctor's saying, you were here a week ago. <laughs> and I'm saying, I'm just concerned. <laughs> I think we got to get back in there. <laughs> so I was digging through the voicemails and apparently on Google, there's also a text and picture option. And this guy named Ray sent this message in and it just says, so that you guys know I'm on the same crazy wavelength as you guys. I had a colonoscopy today and had something written on my butt cheek to surprise the doctor and oh. the doctor wrote back on it. So first I'm going to show you this and we'll put this up on the Team Coco podcast okay. social media, but I've, even though this is visual, this is worth sharing, I think. So he wrote, hi doc, be gentle. And then oh, the God. doctor wrote back in full black marker. I was happy face. And he made a happy face. This is not a way for people to communicate. I, I don't <laughs> I don't think the uh, the good Lord gave us uh, two buttock so that we could have uh, a message on one side and a response on the other. I, I this is that's insane. Hi Doc, really be something. gentle. And then he wrote, I was. Yeah. This is this man's butt? Yes. This is this man's bottom. Oh, okay. And yes. um, I don't know. I'm not that confident going into any kind of procedure where I'm going to be out, where I'm going to write a funny message. Like, can you imagine if I needed some procedure on my heart? And they're like, well, we're going to put you under. You have a pretty good chance, Conan. 80% of the time, this goes well. Uh, we're going to crack your chest, get in there and mess around with your right ventricle. And then the doctor, I get in and they, you know, they remove the robe when I'm passed out. And I've got a goofy message or series of cartoons that I've written out. You know? Oh, Are doctor, you? here's the key to my heart. Oh, man. Or you had a gastric bypass, but eight alphabets in a specific order. Yeah. That uh -huh. <laughs> <it's>, <laughs> I don't know where. Yeah. And yeah. You get my point. Yeah, I do get your point. That would be very hard to eat them in a certain order and then hope <laughs> backwards. Hope that they backwards. hope that they lined up yeah. in your GI tract in the correct order. What if it if it was a really complicated sentence and you got it all right except one word was backwards? So it was like, hello, doctor. Good luck on your fishing expedition. Expedition <laughs> instead of expedition. And the doctor was like, oh, I am fucked up. You ate the alphabet in the wrong order. I can't make it out. And you're 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 swallowing these letters whole. Yeah, yeah. but like, you have to do them in reverse them. order. You can't chew them. You can't chew okay. them. Yeah. I know. I think this whole thing is a dangerous precedent of leaving funny gag messages, essentially Easter eggs for yeah. your surgeon to find, because I want my surgeon focused like a laser beam on the task at hand. And if the surgeon is trying to think of a funny response to my the quip that I wrote right. on my heart, then what if that distracts the doctor? What if the doctor's like, oh man, Conan had a pretty funny joke yep. stenciled onto his chest. I don't Damn, know. I got to come up with something. Doctor, are you okay? We should probably do this quickly. He's bleeding out. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. That's a funny way to come back at Conan. Yeah, you think so, buddy. No, that's not funny. Doctor, his blood pressure is dropping rapidly. Hold on a second. Excuse me, nurse. This is to be funny. It's got to be, how about, yeah, you wish. No. Wait, do I capitalize the U to show I'm being sarcastic? No. You died. Conan O'Brien's gone, sir. I just figured it out.
I just got it. Yeah, I worry about that. I worry I about that. Know. I don't want the doc- I like it. Oh, you like the scenario where I leave this earth? No, I like the note. I think that this guy does colonoscopies probably a lot and he sees a lot of butts that are just that have no messages on it. And then he sees this one and he's like, oh, somebody actually like thought about me. Yeah. And now he's into it. So people don't even leave him a message. And he just writes on everybody's butt after it's over, like another Dr. Anderson colonoscopy. <laughs> yeah. And it's got a signature and a little logo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> I like that. I like the idea that maybe you're right. Maybe it's nice if we started writing messages to doctors on our bodies. Maybe I'm Maybe I'm overthinking. Yeah, maybe, maybe it's yeah. nice to just start writing messages like, good luck, duck. And remember, if you screw it up, there's plenty more O'Briens where this one came from. <laughs> good luck, doc. It's a jungle in there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> good luck, what? doc. You do not. Wait till you see what I had. I did not fast, doc. Welcome to the yard sale. Welcome to the jungle. I ate a burrito last night. Welcome to the jungle. You're in for quite a fright. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. Just, oh. Playing pranks on a guy who's who's doing your colonoscopy yeah. by not fasting and then eating all kinds of crazy stuff. I swallowed a parking meter. <laughs> Good luck. I don't know why I'm even doing that voice. Why is Axel Rose doing this now? <laughs> Um, stupid. Well, anyway, uh, good luck. I mean, congratulations on your fun buttocks prank. You sure showed that colonoscopy giver. <laughs> the doctor? Doctor, I said, but I want to be more specific. That was not it. I know. Conan O'Brien needs a friend. With Conan O'Brien, Sonam Obsessian, and Matt Gorley. Produced by me, Matt Gorley. Executive produced by Adam Sachs, Joanna Solitaroff, and Jeff Ross at Team Coco, and Colin Anderson and Cody Fisher at Earwolf. Theme song by The White Stripes. Incidental music by Jimmy Vivino. Take it away, Jimmy. Our supervising producer is Aaron Blair, and our associate talent producer is Jennifer Samples. Engineering by Will Beckton. Talent booking by Paula Davis, Gina Batista, and Britt Kahn. You can rate and review this show on Apple Podcasts, and you might find your review read on a future episode. Got a question for Conan? Call the Team Coco hotline at 323-451-2821 and leave a message. It, too, could be featured on a future episode. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded. This has been a Team Coco production in association with Earwolf. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend is sponsored by ADT. 
Introducing ATT Self Setup, featuring everything from motion sensors to Google Nest Cams and the Nest Doorbell with a battery or wired option. Easily install the ADT self-setup security system at your convenience. This is so good because I can't set up anything. I know, me neither. And they've made it simple. Do yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm terrible. I can't get an electric toothbrush to function properly. Yeah, so easy even Conan O'Brien can do it. That's what they should say from now on. Yeah. No heavy-duty tools are needed, and if you need help, ADT can provide virtual assistance along the way. Also features Nest Cams that can tell the difference between a person, an animal, a vehicle, or with the Nest Doorbell, even a package. That's cool. That's cool. Plus, yeah. when every second counts, you can trust ADT's 24-7 professional monitoring. Go to ADT.com today or call 1-800-ADT-ASAP. Google, Nest Cam, Nest Doorbell, and Nest Aware are trademarks of Google LLC.